Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today, we're going to look at the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 to 38. Um, this is a very difficult passage in the scripture because it's something that, that I think almost everyone kind of is, finds difficult to comprehend, difficult to internalize in their own lives, difficult to practice, because we're never quite sure exactly what it is that the gospel is talking about, at least not from the surface. And it's the gospel where Jesus says to his disciples, I say to you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Praise for those who treat you badly. To the man who slaps you on one cheek, present present the other cheek. And to the man who takes your cloak from you, do not refuse your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and do not ask for your property back from the man who robs you. Treat Treat others as you would like them to treat you. And if you love those who love you, what thanks can you expect? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what thanks can you expect? For even sinners do that much. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what thanks can you expect? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Instead, love your enemies and do good and lend without any hope of return. You will have a great reward and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked." Now, to say that this is not a difficult gospel is uh, to perhaps already be in heaven, Um, because certainly as we press this on and as we look at this more deeply, we begin to wonder, what is he talking about? And and we know, for instance, that he himself, uh, Jesus the Lord, was sharp and critical of the Pharisees, and uh, sharp and critical of those who were... uh, who were manipulators of the covenantal law for their own edification, for their own position, for their own advantage, and so forth. He calls them a brood of vipers and white raw sepulchers and all of those kinds of things. And we say, well, what does this mean then? How can he then turn around and say that we are to love those who hate him, who hate us? And I think that we have to go back to the great commandments. Um, the great commandment of Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and certainly the great commandment of the Gospels. And we have to take another look at the relationship between love of God and love of neighbor. For they are presented to us, the first commandment is the love of your Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul. And the second is like it, your neighbor as yourself. But these are not two isolated commandments. These are two elements or dimensions of one single commandment that we must love. And that that is the heart and that is the center of the Christian faith. And so what happens then is that we ourselves are caught up in what does all this mean? First of all, if we love God, if we truly love God, that means we also trust him, we listen to him, we strive to understand him, we strive and to conform our wills to his own, we strive in every way we know how to be faithful and good disciples of the Lord, children of the Lord God. And we strive in every way possible to imitate the goodness of the Lord. 
If that be the case, then we look at the Lord's relationship with the peoples of the earth, and we come to understand that the peoples of the earth are creations of the living God. There is not, there is not, as there were back in the days of the Gnostics in the second century, the uh, the the God of the spirit and the God of the material world and the God of the Old Testament. They said was a wicked God and he created wicked things. And the God of the New Testament is a good God and he recreates in the spirit good things so that there is no relationship in many ways since we really see actually two gods or two spirits that give life. And uh, and that was the early Gnostic uh, understanding. And to a certain extent, of course, that creeps constantly into into our own culture, into our own way of thinking of things that even once we have dismissed God from the world, which we seem to have done in the secular world, we nevertheless separate the world into the good and the evil, ourselves always, of course, among the good, and our enemies always, of course, among the evil. But this is an ancient heresy, and this is a heresy which shatters the understanding of the Creator God, shatters the understanding of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and shatters the mission of redemption in the midst of the world. Because we know that there is only one God, and that that God is the creator of all things, and that that God sees all things as good. We know from the prologue of John that all creation comes through the word, comes through the light, and that without the word there is nothing that has been made. So that it is through the word of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, that the Trinity creates and the Trinity brings life into the world, into the created order that, that it itself has made. And that somehow or other, as we look around the world, we cannot see within the very elements the depth of the being of the created order and of human persons that essentially which is evil because we know from the book of Genesis that it is, in fact, always good. We know, for instance, that the Hebrews understood under the inspiration of the Spirit that there is evil in the world and that we are not Pollyannas. We don't say, well, you know, everything is wonderful, everything is good, everything is as it should be. It is not. And certainly then in, in, in the second and, and especially the third chapter of Genesis, we find the explanation that that which is evil has been brought into the world by humanity itself, not by the Creator and not by the living God. That being the case, as we look around the world that is filled with contention and hatred and war and violence, and we say, how could God allow this? The question is not how God can allow this. The question is how can humanity allow this? How can humanity, which is created in goodness, so so distort the created order. For the guilt of the evil in the world does not lie with the living God, it lies with the human race. And that began very early on, Scripture tells us, in the distortion of the human race that came about through the primordial sin. And that that becoming a component then of human nature, for we create who we are, and, uh, and we procreate who we are, 
We do not restore through our own procreation the original goodness of the created order. We don't do that. What we do instead is we recreate what we are, and we are fallen people, and we are sinful people, so we bring sinfulness into the world. When we place, therefore, the, the, the origin of all good in the world with the Creator God, with the living God, and the origin of all evil in the world with the human race, then we have a better handle on what this gospel is all about. For if it is human sinfulness, evil, wickedness, hatred, and so forth, um, which has distorted the world, what is that element which restores the world? What is that element which undoes the sinfulness of humanity and brings, therefore, back some kind of orderly return into the original intentions of the living God. We first of all see this in the gospel stories, and particularly in the miracles of Jesus. For we have a tendency to see the miracles of Jesus as mere humanitarianism, as mere altruism, as mere compassion of some kind. All of it restored purely into the human image of doing good for others. But in fact... The miracles are more than that. It is not to deny that human goodness is part of Jesus' work, but it is more than that. It is a moment of revelation in which the Son of God, the incarnate Word of God, has the power to restore through the levels and the burdens of sinfulness, has the ability to restore the pristine goodness of creation itself, making the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear and the dead rise. All of this is overcoming the consequences of human sinfulness. So the miracles are moments of revelation for individual people, but for the apostles themselves, who are then to become the, the, the messengers, the carriers of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to share it with all humanity throughout the ages. So when we then come to this gospel that says, love your enemy, it is not saying that we love the evil that human beings do. And that becomes a great contention. We hear this an awful lot, someone saying, oh, well, you, you shouldn't judge people, and oh, well, you know, I committed a sin, I judged someone. What does that mean? If that means I have judged them as evil in their hearts and their souls, then it is sinful and it is wrong. And then when it says here in the gospel, as you have judged, so, you will, so will you be judged. If you do not condemn, you will not be condemned. And if you give pardon, you will be pardoned and so forth. Do not judge and you will not be judged yourselves. What does that mean? That means that we do not judge the interior core of another human being's person because that is what has been touched by the hand of God. That is what has come into the world with the potentiality for goodness and with the elements of goodness within it, with freedom and with a desire for the good. Every human person, in some way, shape, or form, damaged as that desire is by, by primordial sin and the, and the consequent actual sins of humanity, it remains a core element of the human person. When we reject that, then, in fact, what we do is we reject the whole created order. And we go back to the old Martian Gnostic heresy of saying, well, there's a good creator God and a bad creator God. And that, while we don't articulate it because we know it's not true, we sense it, we feel it, we live that way. And that, however, 
is contrary to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because when we judge, as we must judge, we judge the behavior of others. We judge those, for instance, in our government who espouse the mass destruction of human beings, this new law in New York State of just infanticide and saying it's all right to kill children while we turn around hypocritically and say, oh, well, we have to protect the children. Um, what first way to protect the children is to let them live, protect their lives. So we can say, what wickedness is this? The depth of this wickedness is it, it is almost satanic, this whole um, pro-abortion movement, this whole um, Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger facade, deceit, all of those things. It's, it's wickedness. It's, it's human wickedness at a very deep level. And we have every right to judge and to condemn that which is done. We have a right to condemn the actions of persons. And we have a right to condemn evil policies. There was, there was uh, an example in Nazi Germany of, of a great man, um, 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 Cardinal Clemens von Gallen, who stood up and defied the Nazi genocide from the pulpit. And because he was so powerful as a person and so beloved by the people, the Nazis dared not do anything to him. Um, because he had courage and stature and strength and depth of faith, and he loved his neighbor as himself. And he gave his all for them. He could have been cut down, killed at any moment. And that was not his concern. His concern was the love of neighbor and the goodness of the Creator God. We have great examples of these kinds of people, just as we have great examples of great wickedness by people also. The answer to it is, the solution to it is, yes, we may condemn, we may condemn those actions which are sinful and evil and contrary to the goodness of creation and contrary to the word of God. But we may never carry that condemnation over to the soul of another person. And we can say, well, that's very difficult. How do you not carry over into the soul the, the jihadist who kills hundreds of people and suicide bombs? How can we not carry over evil into the very heart of the politicians who destroy the lives of millions of, of children in self-righteous and ignorant ways? How can we, for instance, not look into the souls of, of someone like the, the dictators of Venezuela and say, look at the suffering they have caused. What wicked men they must be. No, we say what wicked things they have done. And there is a radical difference between saying what wicked things they have done and what wicked people they must be. There was a caution that came to us out of the Council of Trent an important caution, which warns us that we may not assign the eternal destiny to any human being, that the only reason that the church can canonize a saint is because God so acknowledges the presence of that person in heaven through the use of miracles, canonizations that are not based on divine testimony certainly are questionable. But those that are based on the testimony of the divine through the miraculous healing and so forth 
of, of physical ills, which scripturally speaking are the cause of our human sinful condition. Those then tell us, yes, we are able to say that someone is in heaven. We are able to say, for instance, that Mother Teresa is in heaven. We are able to say that um, that all of the great saints, Ignatius, Francis, Dominic, all of those are in heaven. But we dare not ever say that such and such a person is in hell because God never demonstrates to us a damned soul. And that, as a matter of fact, that even in the visions of hell, the children of Fatima, Teresa of Avila, and so forth, there is not an identification of persons that the Lord has granted them. There is identification of suffering human beings instead. So that what we want to do and, and what we strive to do is make this radical distinction. And one of the reasons for that is, how do we know we know so little. We claim to know so much about ourselves, yet we know so little about the human mind, the human consciousness, um, the emotional, the psychological inner structures of a human person. They may well, by life experience and by the wickedness of others, have a conscience that is blocked, have an understanding, have a sense of good which is totally distorted. And in that total distortion, do not see the depth of the evil that they perform. We don't know those things. We don't know what kind of mental illness goes on. We don't know what kind of emotional dysfunction goes on. We don't know what kind of serious disorders exist within people whom we tend to categorize as evil, wicked, demonic. We don't know what that is all about. If it is caused by the sin of pride, then so be it. Let them face their fate. If it is caused by an evil will that they are responsible for, then let them face their fate. But we are not the ones who are able to judge those things. And we are not the ones able to describe in any way, shape, or form the inner workings of another human person's mind. We don't even, most of the time, completely understand our own. How could we ever presume to understand somebody else's. And so that is left to God, the good and the merciful, the all-knowing and the wise God. And he can do what he can do and will do what he does do. And that will be the final statement, the final judgment on the issues that we face. Meanwhile, for us emotionally, what do we do with this? What about those minorities who hate the majorities, those majorities who hate the minorities? What about nations who hate nations? What about religions that hate religions? What about cultures that hate cultures? What about all of that kind of stuff? If we are on the receiving end of hatred, why isn't it right that we return hatred in kind? And yet, at the same time, this kind of personal hatred is something that creates atrocities beyond word. For instance, the hatred of the Jews, the homosexuals, the gypsies, the Catholics, the Slovak, the, the, the Slavic peoples that took place in the heart of the Third Reich were the engine that fueled the hatred and the, and the horribleness 
of what transpired in the death camps of, of Nazi Germany. It was not just the Jews. It was many other categories of people. And if we go and, and, and if we were to visit some of those death camps before they were sanitized and turned into museums, which I had the, 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 the privilege or, or the misfortune of it being able to do, especially at Mauthausen near Linz in Austria, you see, for instance, the graves and the stones and the markers of, of, uh, that subsequently were put up in those places of priests and sisters of all sorts of people, and of course the Jews as well, who were a special target, that uh, they, they were seen as the proponents of modernity, and modernity was seen as the destruction of, of civilization and of the understanding of the human person. And so to obliterate them in the minds of the Nazis um, were, was to protect humanity from itself. A false notion, a wrong notion, a sick notion, but it is something that changed the minds and the hearts of an awful lot of people. And in changing the minds and the hearts of the awful lot of people taught them to hate. And it is that hatred then which brewed the intensity and the volume and the extensiveness of the attack on others by Nazi Germany. But Nazi Germany is not to go down in the history of the 20th century as the most wicked of empires. Joseph Stalin did away with more in an almost crueler and more insensitive and more inhumane way. He starved them to death, according to the book The Harvest of Sorrow by Robert Conquest, who was, I think, a Princeton um, historian, I think. Um, he starved to death 30 million people, and even reducing them to such case that mothers were, were driven to taking the life of their weakest child in order to feed the others to keep them from dying of starvation. He forced that kind of horrible, unhuman behavior that was just unable to be recovered from. And his empire then rose as the most wicked, but also the one that had the greatest uh, public relations machine and portrayed the communists, therefore, as victims, when instead they were monsters of mass destruction and mass humane. The New York Times bought the line, as they often do, and kind of was kind of pro-Stalin and anti-Hitler. Um, there was no way you could be against one and for the other and still in any way, shape, or form be honest or understand. Therefore, the deceivers of the New York Times did something terribly wrong. Um, at the same time, however, what was in their hearts, who knows? And, uh, and there, was, there was an interesting book I read of essays at the time saying that one of the, one of the, one of the, of the, of the Russian communist tricks actually was always to present themselves as seeking a noble ideal, the common good, the good of everyone, equality and all those kinds. None of that was true. All of that was deceit and all of it was a lie. And, uh, and yet, in some ways, they protected themselves historically to where now we raise Nazi Germany as the evil empire, when in fact there were two evil empires, the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany. And, uh, and so we were taught, I remember even as a child, we were taught to hate the Russians. And, 
and uh, that somehow or other, if something terrible happened to the Russians, we wouldn't care. We w- it wouldn't hurt us. We would, be, we would be grateful that somebody had done something horrible to them because we hated them. Without ever thinking of the millions of Russian people, whatever they thought, whatever they understood, whatever they knew, somehow or other, they were not responsible for our misery. And somehow or other, they were not responsible for the fear that we lived with or the potential of destruction that we knew was real. Um, all of these things, it's the same way in the modern world, in the whole racial divide. To, to, to wave the fans of racial hatred by either side is grievously wrong, wicked. It is not the way to justice. It is not the way to peace. It is not the way to a deeper understanding of the human person and to a deeper goodness within humanity itself. It is, in fact, contrary to everything that is in the gospel. It says to us that somehow or other, hate will bring justice. Such is not the case. Hate never brings justice. Hate brings violence and more hate and evil deeds. It is that which is at the core of the human darkness that has come to us from the primordial sin of humanity. It is something that is not, it is not, does not cling to the very nature of, of humanity. It is an acquired fault. And it is something that people acquire oftentimes through no consciousness or fault of their own. They are indoctrinated. They are brainwashed. We find this in the modern university system where education seems to be fading and indoctrination seems to take the fore to exacerbate hatred as some kind of means of the reformation of society when instead hatred is a Marxist tool to incite revolution. And that never has a good outcome for humanity. Everyone thought, for instance, in the Bolshevik Revolution, well, the wicked czar is now gone. Now there will be a people's republic, a democratic republic, and so on and so forth. And what transpired? 30 million people starved to death in some of the worst and most humane conditions humanity has ever known. We saw somehow or other in the Third Reich, somehow we will regain our pride, somewhere we will regain our prosperity. It's all somebody else's fault. If we hate them, we will be successful. If we kill them, we will be free. Exactly the opposite took place. So, the great commandment to love your enemy means that if you love God, you love those whom he loves. You do it despite their behavior, exactly as he loves us despite our behavior. We do it because it brings goodness into the world, and it helps to restore the miracle of the goodness of creation. Without human cooperation, we will not undo human sinfulness, because it is humanity who has created it and brought it to its fruition. The only thing we can do as Christians is undo it. Do I love a jihadist? Do I love someone who hates me? In the deeds and in the surface of our lives, of course not. Do I understand down deep inside that the Lord loves them for they are his creature and he has created them? I had better understand that. And I had better, when the choice comes to me between loving God and hating my neighbor, that I had best love God. 
If I do not do so, I add to the burden of wickedness in the world. If I do not do so, I encourage and support the forces of violence and death and destruction. Of the love of your enemies is a formula for the survival of humanity and a formula for the restoration of the goodness of God's creation. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. Thank you.